Hey everyone, and welcome to the Spencer Lodge podcast in partnership with the awesome Najahi events. If you want to learn how to trade, you want to learn how to get personal development, grow your business, grow yourselves, you're an entrepreneur, you're struggling and you need to develop and grow, go to the Najahi tribe and check it out. There's loads of professional coaches there that can help you out. Also, we have a new sponsor to the podcast, Motivate Media, uh, Golf Business and Emirates Women Magazine as well. So welcome to those guys. For and Thank you very much for sponsoring our show. We're very grateful for it. You can check this interview out also on Emirates Woman. On today's episode of the podcast, this is... um. This is a subject that's very close to my heart, um, and I'm interviewing a guest who has been through some incredible personal tragedies, and it compelled her to change her career and focus on something very important. So before I introduce her, ladies and gentlemen, cue the music. Okay, so today's guest on the Spencer Lodge podcast is Ray Cabasi, and I tell you what, has she got a story for us? Not only are you going to learn a lot, okay, you might want to get yourself a box of tissues. This might just be a little bit emotional for you right now. Um, thank you so much, Ray, for coming on to the show. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Um, I'm still, I still can't believe I'm here with you, so need some few minutes but thank you so much it means a lot you're very welcome so you're you're one of my my students i am the <laughs> university and that's how we met yes um so how did you hear about me linkedin okay you were someone i always had in mind that i want to work with this guy because i've I, I told you that many times you are my ultimate idol when it comes to having a successful business you remind me of harvey specter in suits and i can't stress enough on that you are the man so uh, you are so for I'm, me I'm to be here you are that. see what i did there <laughs> so for me to be sitting here with you to share my story it's it's um my ultimate pleasure so you came on a live with me the other day, so most of my students come and spend 30 minutes telling my audience a little bit about <laughs> themselves. And you decided to pull a fast one on me and share a story that I don't think any of us were expecting. Uh, you told us about your why. And for me, um, I was blown away. And obviously from the comments of everybody that was watching that day, they were too. Hence the reason for wanting you to come and share your story on the show today. So let's go back to the beginning, shall we? Wow, yes, we shall. So basically, the reason why I became, I chose to become a mental health coach and a trainer is because my journey with mental health has started ever since I was a little kid. I was, I thought I was in a happy family, member of four people, my dad, my mom, and my brother. And until later on, you know, when you're a young kid and you see your parents fighting on something, you say, it's it's normal, it's okay, it's fine. And then you come to realize that, no, your mom was a depressed mom. This is why she used to abuse us when we were kids. That's how it started. Um, so living with an abusive and depressed mom until I was 18. And then I just decided that I want to leave my house I, I don't want to live with her because i'm done being beaten for anything i'm done hearing stuff that tells me you are a loser you're not good enough you are a failure 
this is the last thing I've heard from my mom. So when she asked for a divorce, I was, I think, 17 or 18. And that's it, Spencer. I, I chose to quit, to, to leave, not to quit, to leave the house. And um, I lived alone ever since then. I stopped talking to my mom ever since then. And that's how it started. One thing after the, uh, the other, I had to live my life away from my dad. And he was really my best friend. So he's, he, we were very in a good place here in Dubai. I was raised here in Dubai, went to the best schools. I had the best bedrooms with all the designs, everything a girl would dream of. I had a piano, everything. I was having the dream childhood until my dad's business went whoop, down the hole or down the hill. And he had to send us back to Beirut. And that's how it started. Um, I got, I started getting abandonment issues because in my head, my dad abandoned us. Um, he went back, I think it was in Saudi. He started the business over there and he lived most of his life there between Saudi and Qatar. And um, then he was getting into the depression and no one knew about it. I, I knew he was not well because the pressure of getting back his family on the way they used to live, like in a wealthy house, in a good place, good, whatever it is, he always pressured himself and he always blamed himself because of me, you're going now to a public school, because of me, you don't have friends anymore and these kind of stuff. So all I did was, it's okay, daddy, it's going to be okay, things will be fine, don't worry about it. And that's it. Um, when I was 23 years old, and that's the brief version of the story, uh, we were having a discussion and for the first time in my whole life, Spencer, I get into an argument with that. And I was having my depression as well, but I never meant to throw it at him. It's because of you we're having this life, because of you I never had my childhood, because of you I'm working, I don't know how many jobs, la 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 la. And he was like, just be patient. I promise you I'm gonna come in August. Um, two months later, he came in August, but in a coffin. We came to know that he hanged himself in his apartment and they told me it was a heart attack. So I lived like, I don't know, four months thinking it was a heart attack. So for me, I was living in a shock. I was living in sadness, um, a little bit of guilt because, oh my God, I, 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 I caused my dad to have a heart attack. Four months later, I, I came to know that it was, no, it was suicide. My feelings went from shock to anger. Like, how dare you do that to me at that very specific moment? How, how dare, dare you? Leave you? How dare you leave me? And when you, when you promise you're going to come in August, when you promise that things are going to be fine, when you promise that things are going to take a better shape, you're, you will give it a chance. Why, why did you lie to me? After the anger, I had to do a lot of forgiveness. I had to do a lot of, I almost hit the, I don't know what they call him, but the sheikh who's doing the prayers 
we were not allowed to say that he committed suicide because for them, stairway to hell. <laughs> and I, I really lost my nerves at that day because it hit me that we, were, we are not um, allowed to judge. Who are we to judge? He was in pain and we never knew about it. And that's when my why started to take place. I was so in pain that I didn't know what, what should I do with all this pain. I'm in pain and no one understands. They would come to you and say, he's in a better place. How would you know if he's in a better place? Um, it's all your mom's fault. It's all your something like this. So I had. Why, yeah. why, why do you think your dad killed himself? Now, when I look back and see things differently, um, he was lonely. He was feeling guilty. He was feeling pressure because my mom was not a very supportive wife. She always pressured him to get us more money. I want this new phone. I want this dress. So he always felt that he failed us one way or another. So looking at what happened next, I, I think he did that so we get money out of what his death. Talk to me about the, the, the Lebanese way when it comes to um, men speaking up about how they feel about men speaking up about, you know, their concerns and, and, and their struggles and their pain. What's the Lebanese way? Is they the don't. They don't. So how are you feeling? Oh, I feel really bad. Let's go have a drink. Let's. And that's it. One year after the other, your anger would just grow bigger and bigger. Your loneliness gets bigger and bigger. No one really gives you the attention because you are acting like you're fine, like you're a man. You're... And it's not only for Lebanese, Spencer. It's basically in the Arab society. Men are not allowed to say, listen, I need help. I'm, I'm, I feel weak. I feel sad. You're sad? Why? You have a good life. Mm -hmm. You have a good car. You have a nice family. Mm -hmm. Look at your job. Many people would love to be in your shoes. Uh, no, not really. Because I don't, I don't think that's an Arab thing. I think that's a, a worldwide it's thing. It's 10 times worse or bigger in the Arab society. I think that there's more communication and discussion about it. I'm not entirely sure there's um, as much being done about it by the individuals that are in pain or are struggling. I think that, that, that it's, it's, it's to some degree fashionable at the moment to talk about it. But the action is the important thing. It's doing something about it. I was just going to say, yeah. yeah. It's um, everyone, all of a sudden, they were mental health, break the stigma, break the taboo. Same people, Spencer, you would be surprised when you actually want to do something, a proper action, you have a strategy, you have a plan. They would say, come on, me against the world? Let someone else do it. Okay. So dad takes his own life. How does that affect you? You go through initial pain. You say you went through anger. What impact it did it was, have? It was, um, my emotions were really like just juggling balls between denial, 
that no, he couldn't do that. He just traveled somewhere else. And people are telling me this too. I lived in denial and anger and frustration and guilt for more than five years, if I'm not mistaken, having one emotion after the other. So I lived in denial for 2010. He hanged himself. Until maybe 2012, I was a bit in denial of my emotions, pretending things are fine. I did not deal with my anger. I tried to kill myself three times. Why? Between, because I, I, in my head, I just wanted to be with him. And I, I was already struggling with my ex-boyfriend, with my job, with everything. So I was like, maybe I could just go drop him a visit and be good company. This is all I could think of. I want to know why he did that. Maybe we could fix things. I don't know. Maybe we can create a miracle. This is how my brain was functioning back then. And I really wanted my dad. I never had the chance to say goodbye. And that's really the worst thing ever. <sighs> to not have the opportunity to say goodbye. And... <clears throat> I enrolled in a self-improvement workshop. It was a nine-month process, and that workshop saved my life. When we were introducing ourselves, I remember we were in a circle. Everyone is sharing their whys. Why are you here? And then I was like, well, I'm in a very bad place right now, so just give me a reason why I shouldn't kill myself. They were just looking at me, and, okay, so we're dealing with a suicidal. Nine months later, I transformed into a completely different woman, a new woman, a stronger woman. And, but it was painful. It was a very painful journey because it's a theater therapy, if you ever heard of it. So they help you and they teach you how to deal with your emotions, how to get your anger out of your system and that it's okay for you to be angry. Are you angry at your dad? Be angry at your dad. He killed himself. Just be angry. Stop defending him. He did something bad. It was so intense that I had to face my emotions head to head with whatever my mom did, whatever my dad did. And then my brother is another story. He, he was a drug addict and he killed someone in my house. So all of that, I did boof. It exploded. And I have this tattoo on my hand that says, Laldis. This is the exercise that saved my life, Spencer. It helps you how to express and deal and face your emotions to the maximum. This is 10. If you're angry and scale 1 to 10, it's 10. Do not hold yourself back from being angry. Just don't do it in a way that you hurt yourself or hurt other people. I interviewed a lady called Katie Piper on my podcast the other day, and I don't know if you saw that, but Katie was um, I did. raped and held hostage by her boyfriend and then had acid porn all over her face. And she's incredibly strong to have come through that, 300 operations, and it's really quite compelling. And whenever I'm with people like that, like I am sitting here with you right now, I feel, you know what, I don't have problems. I don't, I've not had challenges like people have had challenges. And I said that to Katie when I was with her and it happened with Nick Vujicic and it happened with Jessica Cox just a few weeks earlier because she's born with no arms. And Katie reminded me that 
everybody's problems are relative and True. everybody's issues and pain is pain they're experiencing. So just because you've been through something bigger or worse or, or more in some way doesn't mean that their problem uh, or their challenges or their situation isn't um, incredibly valuable to them. And so when I sit and listen to you, I don't know what I would I don't know what I would do if I couldn't say goodbye to my dad. I, I, I don't know what I I don't I just don't know what I would do. You create a way. I said goodbye on stage in front of hundreds of people. I wrote a scene to share a little brief of my story in a theatrical way of course and I stood there wearing a baby doll in darkness. No one can see my face. They just can hear my voice. And at the end of the scene, I ended it with my name, it's time for me to love myself. Goodbye. You said that you're, you've had other experiences. You obviously your father, that was massive. You're, tell me what's your relationship like with your mom now? There's no relationship. Um, How was she impacted by your father's death? I don't know, to be honest. I don't know because she never picked up the phone to say, hey, God bless his soul, or I'm sorry for your loss. She ne I never received that call. And it really, like, how could you, <laughs> 19 years of marriage, and you couldn't pick up the phone to tell me sorry for my loss. Uh, so I never spoke to her, and um, two years, two years, I think it was two years ago uh, or three years ago. I was going through a very uh, spiritual journey, and I decided to do some forgiveness for myself and for every person who hurt me because it's so heavy. And for me to help people, I should, I should not be having any baggage. So I did that, and I remember there was one night, I think it was two years back, something somewhere like that, and I said, I did some forgiveness for my mom. I forgive you. I hope you forgive yourself. I hope you're fine. But between me and myself, just meditating. The next day, I received a message from her, and she was like, um, I have been planning to talk to you for a while on Facebook. Um, I don't know what I have done or what I have caused, whatever it is. I'm sorry. Spencer, I just looked at the message and I was like, seriously? <laughs> and that's it. I said, I, I told her I forgave her and all is well, but I cannot have her in my life anymore. Um, month later, I came to know that she has been diagnosed with MS. And she went into a coma and she never woke up. Now she's brain dead. <laughs> now she's brain dead and I don't know how to I still don't know how to feel about it because I've lived without her for all of my life having to live without a mom next to you is really powerful but at the same time it makes you think as a teenager why am I not good enough to have a good mom Am I not worthy of good parents next to me? What did I do something wrong? How should I feel right now knowing that she's brain dead? Is that why she asked for my forgiveness? 
or the, she means it or she doesn't mean it. So the inner child got hurt again. And I don't have answers for that. So, and we all know that when someone goes into a coma, that means they're giving up. They don't have a reason to live anymore. And it hurts regardless who she is. I wouldn't wish anyone to reach that point of desperation or to, no, life is painful, yes, but it, you, you come out of it, out of a purpose, a very strong one, out of lessons. Just do your work, do your healing, and believe me, you will be one of the strongest people you could ever meet. You would look at the mirror and you would see a very strong person. Wow. So, yeah. <laughs> and your, and your, you said your brother killed somebody. Yeah, overdose in my house. He was a drug addict. And I never knew. I think I was a very naive person <laughs> when I was young. <laughs> everything was happening around me. I just thought everything was bed of roses. My brother got affected negatively due to my parents' divorce and separation and all of that. He was not, I don't want to say strong enough. He was, he needed help. And we were not there. We were not there, including myself. I was busy getting food on the table. I was busy grief. I don't know. I don't know. I was not well to take care of someone else. So he went the easiest way, having these kind of gang where they go and share good moments with drugs. At the age of 15, my brother was a very... I don't want, I don't know what's the word, but he was heavily a drug addict. Um, I used to be a teacher in a kindergarten and I receive a call that you better come now to the house or else you would lose your brother. Poof. That was the police. So I go home, uh, the ambulance, the police, the neighbors just, you know, pointing out, oh my God, who is she? She's her, his, her, his brother. I go there, my, my brother is handcuffed. There's a weird smell in the house and I didn't know what's happening. I was like, what's wrong? Ma'am, you don't wanna go in there, just stay here. We need to ask a few questions. And my brother is laughing. I was like, why are you laughing? What's wrong? He was high. And then I, I realized the smell was a corpse in my body, in, in my house. He injected him with something. And just like that, I have a body in my house. And I, was, I didn't know what to do, of course. I didn't know what to do. Um, yeah, and things went over and over. We had to go to the police station to write a report. He, he went to jail. And he, then I had to go and see his friends to recognize their faces. All of them used to come to my house. And I would serve them cookies and coffee and cakes drug addicts in my house uh, that was really that was really an upsetting turn of events i being a woman on your own no boyfriend no family support and your brother does that give me a break would you okay so you've been through um <laughs> your first year yeah and you now 
are a men's mental health coach. Yes, I am. <laughs> so how did that happen? And t- tell me more about men's mental health coaching and why you're so proud to do it and the business that you run. I will. It came because, of course, of, from my experience, after I did my healing and therapy and everything was fine, I had a lot of jobs uh, and all of them either caused me a burnout or there were men who were pressured because I'm very um, an easy person to talk to. So my colleagues in the company, they all men, they always came to me to say, I can't take this anymore, but I have to do it for the money. I have to do it for my family. I'm really sad. I'm really pressured. I think I'm going to have a heart attack. And I would look at them. You don't have to do all of that. Just, And it hit me. Why is there no one helping these men? Why is there no one telling women that they are capable of doing stuff? Why, why, why? Oh my God, I should do something about it. I quit my corporate job. <laughs> That's what it. What was your corporate job? What were you doing? I, I, I worked a lot, but my last one was a business development. I, I used to sell training programs. And then I quit my job. Okay, what now, what now, what now? So I studied. I got a diploma in mental health and psychology in life coaching. Um, and I started doing this. And I knew that, you know what? I survived. No, I thrived. I really genuinely believe that I thrived after everything I went through. Then why shouldn't people do that? I want to help them do that. So, and I... To start from somewhere, it starts here. So I help people shift their mindsets from, no, I can't, to yes, I can. I help men to feel safe, to be weak, to be sad, to express themselves, and then deal with whatever is going on. But what matters to me the most is I don't want any person to sleep on his pillow, feeling that he's not worthy of anyone's time, he's not worthy of anyone's help or anyone's ear, for God's sake. Sometimes clients come to me just because they want someone to listen, active listening, not the type where, hey, I'm sad, hey, uh, it's going to be okay. No. That's why I chose this. This is what my business do for people they help people create magic and you think if you're if your your dad had someone like you or with the skills that you now have he wouldn't there? yeah he wouldn't kill himself i asked myself this question just today morning so <clears throat> wow it's been a long time since i've cried because of this but yes if my dad had the safe space and the right support and resources to be heard and supported, he wouldn't have hanged himself. People just pushed him to give more and more and more and more until there's nothing left. Why are we pushing people to the edge? There's a huge difference between tough love or, you know, the tough support and between pushing someone to kill themselves. A huge difference. People do not know the difference. This is what I do. 
There's a difference between one bad day and one bad life. There's a difference between I'm sad and I'm depressed. There's a difference between there's a hole in my heart and I'm just being hormonal. There's a difference. People do not know it. There's a there's a kind of a big movement towards female empowerment. There's a big movement towards women being equal to men. But it's almost like the movement of women getting to the stage that men are at in, in society's interpretation of a stereotype. But maybe it shouldn't be women coming to men. Maybe it should be the men becoming more vulnerable and more open and more willing to, to talk about their mm. issues. This, do you find it hard? Do, do, do men find it hard? Do you think? Do you think they find it hard to openly talk about their issues, even in today's day and age? Or do you think that they find it a lot easier now? Some men are finding it easier, which is good, really, really good. I see, like you, for example, you posted a video, and it reached a lot of millions of people. It takes guts. It takes vulnerability to share something like that with everyone else. Some people are finding it difficult or some men are finding it a challenge. Like how, how, how can I come and say that I'm scared? No, I'm not supposed to be scared. I'm not so. Because they're worried about what other people might think. Exactly. I'm worried about their, his family, worried about his boss, worried about his colleagues, his clients his friends, his entourage, but never about himself because I have responsibilities. Well, guess what? Yes, one of your responsibilities is yourself. So this might shock a lot of people. I do not believe in men and women are equal or equality or empowerment or what. No, I believe in equity. I believe in humanity. If you are struggling with... As a woman, this is what I believe, and I speak from a personal experience. If you are struggling to get recognition or respect at your work, this is not the right job for you. You are working with the wrong people. Go find yourself the right people to work with. There are plenty out there. If you are a man and you are being um, mocked because of you crying or expressing yourself, well, it's time for you to communicate and to Put your foot down. This is me expressing my weakness to you. If you're going to add to my weakness, you're out of my life. This is the approach that I would love to see happening because, Spencer, it's not only us here. This is for the coming generation. I want our kids to have a healthy childhood. I want their kids to have a healthy childhood. I'm looking at the big picture it's not about us. My dad died. I don't want any other kid's dad to die or mom to be depressed and her daughter would live her life thinking she was not worth it. And then you realize, oh my God, it was depression? Seriously. So I am worth it. I am good enough. I don't want any child to go through that. Even if the result was really good. I'm so happy and I'm so proud of the woman I became. But we could avoid the pain with two simple steps. Awareness 
action. You're going to, t- I hear that a lot, but Trav, it's, it's really hard. It's really difficult. It's really challenging. How can I feel the pain? But you're feeling the pain at work. You're feeling the pain in your toxic relationship. You're feeling the pain from your abusive parents. Why not take that pain away for a very temporary time? Work on that pain, face it, punch it in its face, and it'll be gone. Here's a pain that will live with you for the rest of your life. And here's a pain just for a temporary time. Let's say six months, a year. Is that not worth the rest of your life and your children's lives? It is. That's my business. <laughs> That's my... I don't, uh, I don't think we think as much about the impact that depression or whatever that mental health issue may be has on the well-being of people around you as well and i think it's the kind of the focus is on and because you just hit the nail on the head the focus is on dealing with the issue but then the issue is everybody's issue isn't it it becomes everybody's problem and everybody's suffering because of it Give me some reasons why men resist. I don't mean resist your charms because you're lovely, but (laughs) but why why do men resist? Have you dug deep as to why they resist getting help? The most common reasons are they are scared to be judged. They are scared that they might lose their masculinity. And what would people say? I'm going to shrink? Like, that's... So that's one of the myths or the misconceptions is that going to a shrink or a therapist or a coach means you're crazy. So let's assume I am crazy. Let's assume. Do I not deserve support? Do I not deserve someone to hold my hand and tell me you are not alone in this? We will get through this. Let's assume, let's put the worst case scenario. You are crazy. And so then what? Men are, do not feel safe. Why is it okay for me to cry now in front of you and you're not allowed to cry because you're a man? Who said that? Who made the rules? Who? Men are charming when they cry. That means he's connected with his emotions. That makes him a better leader. This is why there's something now called compassionate leadership. It makes him a better parent, a better dad, a better brother, a better entrepreneur. You want to talk money and businesses? If you're not compassionate, if you're not connected to this heart of yours and the mind, if you're not in synchronization, if you're not in harmony with your mind and heart, then how are you going to lead your business? What kind of a leader are you? If you're telling your team, I don't care how you do it as long as you do. No. That's people not looking at the big picture. I am not only helping you heal just a sadness or just, no, no, no. I'm helping you build a better business. I'm helping you have a healthy family. I'm helping you have a strong bond with your partner. That's If that's not worth it, I don't know what is. 
I I was fired in 2012 from a job that was <clears throat> that was my life for 16 years, and that sent me into a very deep depression, and it the, the trauma of that event still lives with me today, and I still haven't fully recovered, and the only trauma that I remember being something similar in terms of how it stayed with me was when I was bullied as a kid at school. And I, for 30 years, was hell-bent on proving the bullies wrong. 30 years. Now, I proved it by the time I was 22. I even met some of them. But it, it, it almost drove me to prove them wrong. But the impact I had on my life was great. It was a, a big impact. It was grand in terms of its size. And then when I lost my job in 2012, all of the typical emotions at the beginning, you know, it's being taken away from you and this kind of stuff. And, you know, you're blaming and then you finally realize that it was your responsibility and, and it was probably the right decision for the business to have made. The, the trauma of that my sense of belonging in that environment, of knowing pretty much nothing else from the age of 23 to the age of 42. Really, in the 25 to 42. The, I still haven't been able to shake that off. Why? I still haven't been able to move on. Don't know. Because it, it represents such good memories of a time when everything was good to a time when what I'd been institutionalized into, and happily institutionalized into, became very different. When you're in charge of hundreds and hundreds of people in a business and you're known to be one of the most successful people in the world at it, there's a satisfaction that comes from the applauds there's a a joy that comes from achieving and I sometimes see CEOs of companies that get fired and they become depressed and then take their lives because it's their sense of belonging their sense of purpose goes and even to this day, it hangs over my head like a dark cloud. There, d d in your experience, do men have more problems as they get older in terms of how they cope? Or does it equally affect people when they're young? Oh, that's a good one. I think when people, when men get older, they would be more open to see things differently. The younger generation of men, they do not know the importance or the value of actually seeing what's wrong. So it's two different approaches and two different understandings. An older man, it could take you a little bit 
a little bit more effort just to make him feel safe. And you are safe. And it would be easy for him to let go because he has been living all of his life building and building and building and building and creating something. He reaches a point where he's really tired and he doesn't know where is it coming from. Why am I tired? I, I, have, I have built a good life because you just said it. They, can, they associate themselves and their success to what they have built, but it's here. I told once my friend that I was so broke, I had only like three dirhams, but I felt like a millionaire. I literally felt like a millionaire because I know it's temporary and I know that now you have three dirhams, one week later you get your business going and you're going to make more money. Men, when they associate themselves to their business or their position or their title, it's not his fault. It's his surroundings. They look at you, oh, you are CEO, good for you. And they would take you to the best places. You, They would buy you the most expensive gift. They create that image in your head. But would they give you that same respect and recognition if you were just, I don't know, someone who sells cookies? No. They would if you made them. How do you find people to help? What's your, what's your, what's your, what's, do, do, do people just come to you? Is there like this desire from the public to seek help or do you have to go out and, and persuade people to get involved in this kind of conversation? Yeah, it's, a, it's, a, it's a combination between referrals, like my friends would refer me to their friends or clients I've worked with, they refer me or LinkedIn. I would just, you know, share some content, engage with them. Whoever put a like or a comment or answered the poll, I would send them a message. We would take it from there. We do a discovery call and I try to, you know, make it happen. And, make it happen. <laughs> yeah. And do you, um, do you think that with what's happened over the last few months here in the UAE, well, all over the world with the pandemic and the craziness, do you think there's a, with a huge number of people that are losing their jobs, um, 45 million people in the United yeah. States and you name it, everywhere it's happening. Do you think it's more important now than ever? 100%. This should be a wake-up call. Because um, I don't know if you read the article, the real pandemic is mental health now. It's not the virus. We are all now in survival mode, mentally. We wake up in the morning and we have to create a purpose if we don't have it. And even if that purpose was just getting out of bed, well done. And it's very hard when you are living in a house or in an environment or you work in a company that doesn't support that. So I work also with companies to help them realize the importance of having a well-being program. I once got a reply from the chairman he was like, we don't care. As long as my numbers and targets are met, I don't care if my employee is feeling well or not. Let him go. Beep. And I was like, 
no, this is why you should care. And I gave him like, you know, I drew something that uh, I took him through the absenteeism, the presenteeism, how much your sales is going to be affected and what would happen if this salesman that you really, really love is going to quit because you couldn't give him a mental health off day or you, there's no coach or counselor in your company. This is what you're losing. You're losing your business. And one employee would drag the other because if he quit because he was, not, he was depressed or burned out, then I can and I will. And I've done it. <laughs> I have. I've done it. I quit my one of my jobs because my manager refused to give me a day off because I said I need it for my mental health. But if I said my stomach hurts, yeah, of course, go feel better. Why? So now it's the time. Now it's the time. You want a better future? You want a better and healthier generation, better relationships. You want to make more money. <clears throat> Take care of yourself. There's a saying that says, you cannot give what you lack. I am a living example that proved that statement wrong. I lived a life without a mom, without a dad, without proper support system, no love, no tenderness. I had to raise myself since I was 18 or 17. And look at me now. I'm a loving person. And I dare to say that to myself because I really do not want anyone to be alone, to be lonely. No one deserves to spend their birthdays alone unless they decide to. It's, a, it's, it's different. No one deserves to have a meal alone because they have no one there because they think they're fine. She's a strong woman. She doesn't need us because I gave them that impression. I am a strong woman, but I was dying inside. No one knew I attempted suicide three times. They were like, what? You? We need to take that mask off. So for a better business, for a better family, better relationships, I swear to you, it works like magic once you decide to put yourself on the top of that list. Your agenda is full of meetings, calls, schedules, clients. Put Spencer at the top of the list and see how things would be different. We could spend the next few hours talking. I know. And maybe we should talk some <laughs> more. How do people get hold of you? Yeah, LinkedIn. Uh, Instagram, my website. So it's Rahav Kobesi on LinkedIn. Raise your mental health on Instagram. And raise, raise your, mental, your health. mental health is spelled R A Y S, though, isn't yes. it? Yes. Yeah, raise your mental Comes health. That's from my name. Is it dot AE or dot com? Dot com. Dot com. My website. Yes. Ra raise your mental Let's health. Let's work own. together. And if people wanted to work with you, how does it work? What's the process? Well, um, at, the, at, at the beginning, I, we do a discovery call. I, I like to know the client beforehand. So uh, we go for coffee if they do not uh, worrying about social distancing. If not, then it's a Zoom call. We have a chat. Um, I get to know what their are pain points. What are they going through? Um, once that those are established, I create for them a coaching program that is a four-month program if they are working on the emotional and professional 
goals and a one-year program if we are doing a whole 180 degrees life transformation. So we work on everything. We clarify the goals and we take it one goal at a time. And I am there to support and to guide and to make things happen for them. All they need to do is show up and be coachable. Ray Cabasi, thank you so much for coming on the Spencer Lodge podcast. It's been great having you today. Thank you. I'm really happy to be here sharing my story literally for the first time with all these details with you because there's something about you that wanted me to share my story with you. You are someone who built himself and I can see that right through your eyes. You're someone who knows the value of everything in life. The value of family, the value of money, the value of mental health, the value of the sacrifices that a man must do to create all of this. You are, I don't know how to say it, but I wanted you to know that even with all of this, You are not alone whenever you feel like, oh, no, there's something wrong. Thank you. So whatever app you're on right now, please either go and leave me a recommendation, leave me a five-star rating. The more people that get access to this content means that more people can hear the stories and they can benefit from it. And guess what? We get more eyeballs and ears on this type of content too, which is great for me from a selfish point of view. I'll see you all very soon.